women's rights Hello and uh, welcome to the Women's IP World podcast. I'm sure you're very surprised to hear myself, Carlos Northen, um, as the host today of this podcast. Um, my uh, guest today is going to be the real host of the podcast, uh, Miss Michelle Katz. She's actually the co-founder of um, Advitam uh, IP LLC based out of Chicago in the USA. Um, she's provided powerful expertise in client counseling, strategic analysis, licensing, prosecution, and litigation in all areas of intellectual property law for 20 plus years. Um, as mentioned in her article in the Women's IP World Annual 2019-2020, she's also she also has a PhD in family logistics, which I will let Michelle get into a little bit later. Um, I could go on with Michelle's expertise but um, I would like her to tell us her story in her words uh, during this podcast. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this um, on this show, um, but uh, welcome to your show, Michelle. And um, thank you for um, asking me to be the host of this podcast um, today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and a very different experience being on this end. I feel <laughs> like um, worlds are reversed and sometimes it's it's a good thing to do something fresh and new and unexpected. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk about flinging me in at the deep end, Michelle, on this uh, Women's IP World podcast, but um, I'm happy um, to take the challenge. Um, so, Michelle, um, firstly, I would like to commend you for the amazing work you've done um, for the Women's IP World podcast over the last year. Um, since we asked you to host a podcast on behalf of our company, Northern's Media PR Marketing Limited in London, um, your professionalism and commitment to the initiative has been nothing short of amazing. So we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Michelle, for all the amazing work you've done. Thank you. And it's been a real honor and privilege to serve as the host of this uh, podcast and to have the opportunity to speak to so many influential uh, women in the intellectual property industry. So thank you. No, no, thank you. Um, I'm so glad we met, Michelle, because, um, you know, since we've met, um, you know, things are really um, starting going well uh, with regards to the Women's IP world. Um, you've really enhanced what we're trying to do here with regards to um, promoting women and um, shining the spotlight on women that work in IP law and innovation globally. And you've done a stellar job um, in that. I'm just hoping now I can actually um, catch up with what you're doing at the moment, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it's pretty incredible that a year has gone by. I mean, we are celebrating the one year anniversary of this podcast. Yeah, it's gone by really quick. And it's been, uh, you, to, to be fair, um, you've taken to it like a duck to water. It's been fantastic to um, watch how um, each episode has grown and um, the amount of um, listeners that we have internationally has grown immensely as well. Um, so again, you know, thanks for, for everything you've done, Michelle. Oh, great. Thank you. And it's great to hear. Okay, so um, uh, let's um, uh, talk about a bit about your background, Michelle, and um, how you actually got interested in the area of intellectual property. So I, I grew up in a way with intellectual property. My father was an intellectual property attorney. He started his own firm in 1983. I was just a kid. 
Um, he was traveling around to conferences. Eventually, I actually started attending some of these conferences because my sister also entered the IP field and I became her plus one. Mm. So I was pretty young and attending receptions and got a feel for, oh, this is this is kind of nice meeting people from all over the world. I made friends with with their friends and, um, you know, such close relationships, they feel very familial. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. growing up, though, I mean, my, my parents always wanted to know, so how was school today? You know, what was, how are you? I didn't really understand the substance of intellectual property law till, till much later. Mm-hmm. And I was always very interested in travel and learning um, other countries, customs, languages, um, and, you know, art, all of these things, and, of course, law. And sometimes the best way to understand our own law is by comparing it to the law systems of other countries. Mm -hmm. So I did specialize in international and comparative law in in law school. They had a a program there. And so my focus was there as well as taking IP courses. And it just seemed like a great fit for me. Um, Mm -hmm. The passion for IP passion for international. I mean, our world is so big and yet so small, right? Uh, Especially when we think of the people we know all over the world um, and how easy it is to communicate, you know, especially now Mm -hmm. with with our friends globally. Sure, sure. So where did you actually um, study um, for your degrees and and to get into this area of um, law? And um, was it all done in the United States? As you mentioned, you you speak other languages and stuff. So I'm assuming you might have picked up some of these languages from potentially studying or working abroad. Yeah. So so in undergrad, because here you do a undergraduate degree, uh, not necessarily in law. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was in psychology, uh, and it was at Indiana University in Bloomington. But I did study abroad during that time. Mm-hmm. I studied in France. Um, in Dijon, the mm-hmm. capital of the province of Bourgogne, of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, I also studied in Israel. Um, I lived there for a year. And um, so I studied there. And then when I went off to law school, my interest in traveling stayed with me. And I took legal courses in, in Paris, mm-hmm. actually. Um, so I studied there. Uh, and I also got an internship in Madrid, Spain with Clark and Modette. Uh, And so I had the experience of my my primary school here in Chicago, Chicago Kent College of Law, but I still had the influence of doing these programs in various places outside the U.S. Okay, okay. So... Um, as uh, your law firm has progressed um, over the years, what other sort of areas in IP have you guys actually um, evolved into? I mean, have you always just worked in the sort of patents trademark sector? Yeah, when I when I first started working um, over twenty years ago at Welsh and Katz. Um, you know, it, it was a boutique IP firm and it stayed that way, but we didn't have regimented departments. Mm-hmm. So you would have um, myself, for example, I might be doing trademark prosecution, but then I would also be pulled into patent litigation. Mm-hmm. 
And so because we didn't have these defined departments like some law firms do, I felt like I received a very well-rounded IP education. And then when I started my own firm in 2012 with my partner, Richard Gurak, we, I mean, we, we adapted that model. We have things that we, we're more focused on than, uh, I don't, I don't draft patents. My, my partner, Richard does, um, he doesn't do much litigation, but we work together on litigation strategy. So how we grew up in that prior firm definitely had an effect on how we run our current firm. Okay. Okay. So, Michelle, um, let's backtrack um, to last year. A Cause Born During the Chaos was the title of your article published in the Women's IP World Annual 2021. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us the inspiration behind this article? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, think back to, to 2019, you know, <laughs> the pandemic, we didn't, it wasn't a thing yet, no. right? Um, but we were on a list to adopt and that came through December of 2019. So mm-hmm. flying down with, and I have, um, I had three children prior, the whole family, we flew down to Columbia mm-hmm. to meet our newest child and had an amazing experience there. And then when we came back, enrolled her in school um, because she was already eight years old and started our, 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 our life expecting it not to change too much. Right. Um, Keeping in mind, it is an additional family member, but then when the lockdown happened, there was a lot of reflection on it, it, it paused the world. Right. Sure. And it caused me to reflect on my experience from the from December of, of 2019. So, so just to backtrack um, for yeah. our listeners, Michelle, you have two biological children and two adopted children, both from Bogota, Colombia. Is that correct? Yeah. So I so I have my eldest is adopted from from Bogota, and she was an infant uh, at the time when we adopted her. Then I carried two my my boys in the middle, and then we went back to Colombia to adopt our fourth, and I, I can say last <laughs> child yeah. for those that Fair know enough. me, they're like, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, that we're bookending that um, with her. And <clears throat> so we've, you know, we've, we were an adoptive family, very pro um, adoption and um, are part of a larger adoptive community, not, not just in Chicago, but but um, somewhat nationally with some of the activities that we participated in up until that point. And so when we got back um, December 31st of 2019, and I remember pulling up after the long journey back home and we had had a light snow because it is Chicago, um, our daughter never had seen snow before. And as she was walking up the stairs, you know, entering the house was grazing her her hands along the stairs to touch the snow for the first time. Oh, how lovely. I mean, it was really, I mean, it was, it's a different experience adopting mm-hmm. an older child than an infant. You see, you, you see that mystery 
um, in her eyes, like what, like that wonderment yeah. of um, touching snow for the first time, and and so many other things, flying a kite, ice skating, like all all the all these things <laughs> course, that yeah. she had never done before, right? And um, and she's done with us, and it's been very beautiful. But what is different uh, from our second adoption experience was that you spend more time in the orphanage because that's where she was living. And my eldest didn't. Um, she was in foster care, and that that's typical setup in Colombia. The first year of a child's life, they're in, in in with a with a foster parent, and not in the orphanage necessarily. At least that was the that's that was the setup at the time with my daughter, my eldest. Right. So then you 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 have this different experience where you're seeing all these beautiful children, right? And I I had I had this bag of um, lollipops. Okay. So I would walk in and it was like Pavlov's dog theory. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I'd walk in, they got to know me and they would swarm at me, you know, to get lollipops. And I mean, just such a small thing made their day. Um, and it was really incredible to see so many, you know, so many beautiful children who were in need of a permanent environment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Permanent loving home, essentially. So then when we got home and we're very much in the throes of getting her in school and, and, you know, managing a household of, you know, four kids, two dogs, <laughs> uh, it, it's already a, a lot. They're active, you know, imagine everybody's activities. Um, it's a handful. It's a handful. Okay. It's a, it's a full, it's a full life. Sure. But then everybody's home. Think mid-March, right? And all of a sudden I have four kids being homeschooled, essentially, this e-learning, which was very new. Um, it was it was quite challenging. I was so focused on keeping my business afloat, not losing anybody, right? Mm -hmm. That my partner and I, when we had that phone call, when lockdown happened, it's like our primary goal is we're not letting anybody go, okay? We're going to make this work, yeah. keep everybody employed, mm -hmm. right? So, um, but also there's at home, there's the breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner service constantly, right? And my husband is a, a first responder. So he was a he was home for a very short time and then he was back on the mm -hmm. front lines. Okay. So I was that was me at home. But this, you know, in spite of all of that, it's still I was still reflecting on my experience in in just that past December. Mm -hmm. That there is not enough awareness about adoption. And that's when I decided I'm going to do something about it. I am going to create a philanthropic organization that focuses on adoption awareness. That it is not something for those who are not having a building a family in, in some other way, right? That it could be anybody. You know, when we started looking at adoption, it was something that I always wanted to do. It wasn't because I was told that's, you know, like your only option. And right, I, because in your article, you mentioned that adoption should be viable, a viable avenue like any other family planning. Um, this is something I'm sure you still strongly stand by. Yeah, absolutely. Now, <laughs> for people who want to build a family, mm -hmm. you, know, with, you know, with children, you know. So, you know, for those that do, it should just be on the list, right, mm -hmm. of, of ways to, to create your family. Sure, sure. Okay, so I want to move on um, because you mentioned about bringing awareness, um, you know, about adoption and all these important uh, matters in the world. Um, 
you have a new foundation, the Plus One Foundation. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. So it's basically two-pronged. One is the awareness side, to build awareness. And you can find us on Instagram at, at Plus One Adoption. And we also have a website, uh, mm-hmm. org. Mm-hmm. So those those are our main ways right now. We're on LinkedIn as well. Um, that we we put out information about about adoption. We're also doing lives now. I'm doing lives on Instagram with adoption consultants, people that are in the industry as well as adoptees, you know, adults, um, and and listening to their stories. And mm-hmm. so it's been it's been great. The other prong though is all is financial based. So it is a philanthropic organization. So we've already started helping families with um, who who are who are adopting with the fees, you know, associated with adoption. Mm-hmm. They they do exist as well as in post placement. So you know, imagine you've received your child through adoption. Okay, and now what? What if they need? You know, maybe they need extra tutoring. Maybe they need um, therapy in different areas. Yeah. There's something called TheraPlay that de- deals with attachment to, mm-hmm. you know, to attach with your child and for your child to attach with you. So there's all these various services out there and there could be costs that you weren't even expecting, right? And we're here to help with that. Amazing. Well, they say not all heroes wear capes, and um, you definitely are an inspiration, and you are a hero to us already, Michelle. You know that. Oh, thank <laughs> and, you. You know, um, the work that you're doing and your uh, morals and the way you live your life is, um, you know, is really something to talk about. And, um, you know, the world needs more people like you, Michelle. Thank you. I'm, I'm really flattered, but I, I just see this as, as just such, such a need and um, and I, I work with people that are sharing that same vision and passion, and hopefully we can move the needle on this. Sure. So how, how do you guys go about getting funding for your Plus One Foundation? Is there any sort of, um, you know, websites or anything like that that people can donate to? Actually, people can donate directly through the website. So oh, okay. again, it's it's Plus One. One, so it's P L U S O N E, mm-hmm. just to be clear. So it's P L, it's plus one adoption dot uh-huh. org, and there is a donation tab. Actually, the first time you enter the website, <laughs> there is a page that will flash up <laughs> so that okay. you can you can donate immediately. But then there is a donation page, and there's several ways to donate that way. Um, so we try to make it easy uh, for people to donate. Uh, obviously, and um, that money goes towards uh, you know the, the the families we're trying to trying to help, and also keeping the, you know the organization going. There's expenses, as you know, from 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 running it. Of course, of course. Well, we will make sure to um, share the link uh, when we share the podcast as well. If anyone would like to donate, I'm sure. And we would like to make a donation here at Northern's Media. Um, and um, if anyone would like to donate afterwards, the link will be um, on the podcast um, link that we share out um, on our socials. That would be that would be so amazing. And actually, I there have been some people in the IP community who have um, donated, and we do thank yous on Instagram to those people and and, and promote them. Okay, well that's amazing. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's an incentive, if any to um, donate Michelle but um, it's an amazing um, cause Uh, that's the plus one foundation and we look forward to um, sharing uh, our donation with you guys soon 
Thank you. So, Michelle, um, let's um, backtrack to, well, actually, let's go forward to the Women's IP World Annual 2022. Um, your article, This Could Be a Crackdown for Trademark Owners, was the title of your latest um, article. Yeah, let's um, do it. Mm-hmm. So it's about um, the growth of trademark uh, filing scams, which in all honesty is something new to me. Um, so before I go into your article, have you been a victim of this scam yourself, Michelle? So from the standpoint that I received the scam letters, yes. Right. Um, no, I have not ever been confused myself because I know I know that I, <laughs> I'm the attorney of record. And so that's why I'm getting the letters. Right. So I'm a barrier uh, to some extent for my clients. Okay. And we have a because it's so prevalent here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's as if there there are these companies that are combing the USPTO.gov website for the new filings. Right. right? Um, because it's public record. But because I'm listed and my address is listed, not that of my clients directly, I'm the one that gets the letters. And right. I get them a lot. Even for our, you know, my firm, Advita IP, we mm-hmm. have several trademark registrations. Mm-hmm. I get them for my own firm, these scam letters, to pay money. Sometimes the pay address is not even here. It's not a, even a U.S. address. It could be somewhere. I think there was one I had that was like in Lithuania, right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere um, in Eastern Europe. And you're like, what? And you get these and the, and they they could look very legitimate to somebody who's not in the industry, like to, to, the, to the underlying client. Mm. They could look very legitimate. In fact, they people have paid them. As I've seen the cases now coming out, thousands of people um, have been caught in the in this trap. Um, so in the article, I even I, I included an example. You saw the graphic yeah. of one of the letters I received. Mm-hmm. So um, myself, uh, so my firm, um, along with two other firms, we have a a branded party that that um, that you must attend once once we get back into in person conferences, which hopefully was soon. Mm-hmm. Um, called IP Junkies. So I used so and we have a, a US. We have a U.S. trademark application, among others, mm-hmm. um, for IP junkies. And I got when I got the letter, I mean, I just I, I can't help but laugh. But it's a very scary thing because people are paying these scammers. And what they're paying for is what they, they think it's for a renewal or something like that. But then, well, usually the, date, the dates may be completely wrong. Um, and then the... And even if they're correct, the money's not going to the USPTO. I mean, it's going into the pocket of these scammers, and then issues can occur then with the lapsing um, or you know, ex- you know, expiration of registrations. So it's actually a very serious crime. What's mm-hmm. happening? Um, I mean, it's, it's fraud. Yeah, is the USPTO actually um, doing anything to try and prevent um, more of these sort of scams becoming more, you know? prominent in in the industry? So for a long time, there wasn't, for a long time, we would just, we we have in our, um, in our letters to our clients, beware of, Mm -hmm. do not pay. We are the point of contact. You should not be receiving anything legitimate directly from the USPTO. Okay. Okay. Then at some point I, we would, there's an or a bright orange page 
that accompanies the registrations. Once they've, once the marks have, have registered, the USPTO mails you the actual paper registration and inside was a notice. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, but there weren't, there was not any litigation until recently. And that's why I decided to write the article about it because now there is a crackdown um, with, with actual court cases against these scammers to shut them down. And also as deterrent, you know, hopefully that against other others that are doing it. That are mm. that are sending out these type of letters. Well, I mean, you mentioned in your article that um, is it Victor's Sur Sur Orkovis? Do excuse my pronunciation. That was terrible. Um, uh, he was actually um, sentenced. He's from Latvia, and the guy was doing mm. well. He done four point five million worth of business in this scam. Um, <laughs> quote unquote. You can't see me, but quote unquote business, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So. I mean, that's a ridiculous amount of money to make in the scam. And how do you think he got away with it for so long? There really were no, there were no cases. This, there were, there, this is really the, you know, this is the precedent now right. that's been sent. And I mean, this stuff had been going on for years mm -hmm. uh, and f for a long time. And even though like the, the warnings, you know, those, the warnings, they're actually going to probably the the attorneys in most cases. I, you know, I think most registrants are represented by counsel, and they were coming to us. Yeah. Um, the letters are the are are the you know the letters from the scammers are going some, some to us, but very many obviously went to the underlying client, right? Well, the actual yeah, I mean registrant. Uh, he left like 2,900 victims out of pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Wow. That's right. Um, you know, even the USPTO, they have their own trademark registrations, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, it, it's not as if someone, it doesn't appear that there was any vetting, right? And, you know, it was just a mass mailing for the, for you know, the registrations, uh, then, you know, new registrations or for registrations that we're going to renew. Right. Um, and so, so many of these letters go out, you're bound to, you know, it's a numbers game. Yeah. Right. You know, when they say, you know, th throw them, throw it all against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. So obviously there, there were enough, right. To make yeah. it a lucrative business model, even though illegal. Yeah. So, so what advice would you give to anyone representing, you know, represented by counsel that receives um, these warning letters, Michelle? Well, and and we we have adapted long ago in into our letters to beware of receiving them because mm -hmm. even though we and, and a reminder to clients that we are your attorney of counsel, only legitimate communications, mm -hmm. right, will will come to. Well, of course, I received the scam letters as well, but legitimate communications from the USPTO, they should be coming to me or whoever your attorney of counsel is, not to you as an individual. If you happen to be representing yourself or you're in between counsels or something like that, beware still of, of these scam letters. 
And you can look at the address where where you mail. It's not it's not the USPTO's address. Sure. Right. Um, and filings are done, and payments are done online these days. Okay, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be sending a check or a credit card information anywhere. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. all done online through the official um, system. You yeah, know? but it's, it's, it's only going to be a matter of time before the official system gets cloned as well. You know, very is, true. Yeah. Very true. So again, you know, it's very important to have counsel representing sure. um, re- representing you because we we have special password protected. There's certain yeah. um, method in which we pay. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's gonna be it's gonna be different than um, what the what the scammers are going to have, even if it looks the same. The actual the I mean, we know what it looks like exactly what it looks like. So it's best for um, you know for applicants and registrants to have someone in the field handling their their renewals and 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 such, and you know all the all the deadline with um, and. Re- and payment of fees. Okay. So ultimately you guys are the firewall to these guys. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, it's been surprising to host this podcast today, but I really enjoyed it. And thank you <laughs> for that. Been, me too. And it's been a surprise to be a guest too. We just kind of came up with this um, exactly. and made it happen. So fantastic. So, fantastic. Great. Quick fire questions, Michelle. Yep. What's your favorite food? Sushi. Favorite wine? Ooh, okay. Um, I know you're a wine drinker. That, I know. I, 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 I have, you know, because I became a sommelier during the uh-huh. um, during the pandemic. Oh my gosh, I've, there's so many things coming <laughs> coming through my mind right now. Um, but I have to say, uh, Grenache. Country. Oh my gosh, that's really tough. Spain just came to my mind, though. Oh, not Chile. <laughs> <laughs> I love yes, I love I, I love chili too. I'm not biased at all. Okay, what's your favorite pastime, Michelle? Um, okay, my favorite past my favorite pastime. I will tell you in the winter skiing with my kids. It, it has been we've been snow skiing this season, and mm-hmm. everyone's getting on skis, and it has been it's been so much fun. Fantastic. Finally, what's your hobby? My hobby. Okay, so wow, that's it's incredible because I feel like there's so many different. I feel like I'm kind of tapped into so many different things. But you know what? Um, I love to sit and read a book like in paper. Um, okay. It seems like such a rare thing, um, mm-hmm. but I I really enjoy it. But also, I have to say, <laughs> fine dining. Of and the, for those that know me and my ordained foodie, ordained foodie. food blog, I mean. I just there is that is a guilty pleasure for me yeah. just to to um, to be out and about and trying new restaurants and pairing that with great wine. Gosh, yeah. I just love it. I, I, I bet your credit card jumps out your your purse every time you jump into one of these restaurants, Michelle. I've seen it. The, can't I've seen wait. The My credit card to. cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, look, I've been your host, uh, Carlos Northern. I'm the founder and CEO of Northern's Media here in London, UK. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak with my guest today, Michelle Katz from Avatam IP in Chicago, USA. Um, please, if you do have a penny or two, um, you can donate to the Plus One Foundation, which has been set up uh, by Michelle and some friends over there in the USA to help 
um, you know, kids in orphanage orphanages um, from all over the world. And um, yeah, thank you, Michelle, for for being for being just amazing. Thank you, Carlos. I really appreciate everything you do. <laughs> thank you very much. We'll catch up soon, Michelle. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Women's The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law and innovation globally. Our annual publication has attracted a cocktail of, or inspiring, knowledgeable women working at all levels in IP and innovation from all over the world. We are proud to share our platform and profile many inspirational women by sharing their industry knowledge through engaging thought leadership literature, stories and personal experiences. If you would like to be part of the Women's IP World Annual 2023, then please make sure to contact a member of our team to reserve your profile, editorial or branding packages by calling plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at womensipworld.com. Reserve your position in the Women's IP World Annual 2023 before the 1st of June to qualify for a 30% discount on our profile and editorial packages. The Women's IP World Annual 2023 Profiles, Articles, Rankings, Experience, Achievements, Accolades. Plus so much more.